You're listening to DraftKings Network. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. You're 100% right, and thank you for letting me still be mad. I knew I should still be mad at something. I just don't know what. And I guess, yeah, the NHLPA. Welcome back to Too Many Men. I'm your dollar store host, Sarah Sivian of The Athletic, with my colleague, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, how are you on this beautiful Thursday morning? I'm okay. How are you? I never get asked this. I'm like, shit, what do I say? How, do, how does one answer a question like this? I know. I need to start whipping out my transatlantic accent when Allison's gone um, to give this a true radio feel here, boys. I don't know why I said that. Allison is currently in the mountains detoxing from having to deal with us all the time. So we, she's sending us beautiful photos. Maybe we'll put one somewhere on Twitter.com. But... The Stanley Cup finals are among us, folks, and the Avalanche beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in overtime 4-3 last night, and I love that we got overtime in game one. I mean, we are not getting skimped out of anything, these Stanley Cup finals, I guess, and it did deliver, and we'll get into that, but first, we have some bits of news, if you will, to go over. So first of all, Jessica Campbell, who we shouted out on the pod two pods ago, was it? Um, As somebody that could potentially make a jump to an NHL coaching job. Um, The New York Rangers hired her for their development camp. Um, I think she's a great skater. And I think that she there's no one better to kind of teach the boys about skating. (laughs) Shayna, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a cool opportunity instead of going with someone that maybe was already in the organization or someone who's done this a thousand times, like bring in someone fresh with like a, a new perspective and see what they can do, especially because like, I mean, not for nothing, the Rangers haven't had like the best luck with all of their prospects and development camp obviously is one small thing, but like just overall, I feel like it's just, a, it's a positive sign. It's something a little more innovative and we've seen them work with like Amanda Kessel before and like dip their toe into women's hockey things. So this for, in my opinion, is a big step. And I feel like for her, it's a big step because women have to prove themselves at every single solitary level to to even be considered and she has coaching experience under her belt she has playing experience so now here's work with an NHL franchise that I think is another one of those like stepping stones that should help her mount a massive resume to compete with the hockey men with you know two long NHL 10 years where they do absolutely nothing during them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it is another stepping stone, as you say. And it's great to see women in these big markets and original six teams. I feel like that holds some weight, too, that um, there's a lot of women getting hired in these original six and Vancouver, which is an original six, but still kind of counts to me. I, I like the direction we're headed and 
we don't have to put them on the shit list this time. So I am always <laughs> happy about that. Um, yeah. Other news, Bruce Cassidy was unemployed for less than one week. He got hired by the Vegas Golden Knights. Shayna, what do we think about this as a head coach, obviously? Shayna, what do you think about this move? How, how do we get that reputation that if we get fired from our jobs, we'll have mm-hmm. a new job <laughs> within five seconds? <laughs> yeah. Rangoon is in the background stalking the prey of me and Shayna currently. (laughs) But um, no, I I mean, we talked about Cassidy a bit and the situation. So it is nice to see that the awkward breakup with Don Sweeney did not cost him any job opportunities because like they waited after telling him he's fine. And I mean, it's not like Vegas has many prospects or young players to worry about. So it should be fine too like you know if that was the concern and you know there's merit to that concern it's not like Vegas is a young developing team so that's positive yeah it makes me wonder if I mean obviously tampering is an issue so they're never gonna admit to anything like this but maybe Vegas was talking to Bruce Cassidy and everybody mutually decided to go their separate ways in a little bit. It doesn't seem like it based on what Cassidy said, though, right? He said this was a shock to him. But, I mean, I guess kudos to the Golden Knights for immediately being like, no, we want you right now ASAP immediately if that's the case. So maybe Jesse Granger of The Athletic, who is a great Golden Knights writer, will let us into the behind the scenes of how this happened. I think it's fascinating how quickly it happened. Um kind of goes to show what we were all saying like why would you fire him there's not really that many better people other than I guess Torts and um Barry Trotz kind of waiting in the wings there yeah. maybe maybe Trotz goes to Boston what are we who are we thinking goes to Boston I literally don't know who you're gonna find that's like not saying Cassidy's the end-all be-all but like I don't see Boston going out of the box like their team that probably if if Bergeron stays and you know once McAvoy's healthy like it does feel like they're going to be like, let's give this another kick at the can. Like, you'll teams tend to want an experienced coach in those situations. They're not going to be like, let's go find someone new. So I'm really curious. Um, like, I would expect Detroit to have, like, a little bit different of a hire. You look at, like, John Cooper in Tampa. That was an Iserman hire. So Boston, I really don't know what they're, what direction they're going to go. But, like, the one thing that is funny to me is, like, you, you mentioned, like, how it went down with Cassidy and, like, it seemed like such a shock. You're going to the team that's made such a reputation for themselves in such a short time for fucking over people. Like, it's yeah, nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're going to be here for life. Actually, we're done with you. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a fundamental part of our team. Actually, go fuck yourself. We're done here, too. Maybe they said they're changing their ways now and Cassidy's hopping on board. I think it's interesting that Cassidy and Eichel are going to be together, not in Boston. <laughs> Maybe that's what he needs so everyone can get off his back and stop saying he's the problem. Maybe that's what they both need. The little switcheroo. (laughs) Like, nobody can blame either of them or they're all blaming each other. (laughs) Yeah, right? And then, like, the Watch of the Golden Knights will thrive this year because they don't have 3,000 injuries. And everyone will be like, see, look, this all worked out. It was the right decision. It's like, it's not. I'm not saying it can't be the right decision, but it's like uh, there were extenuating circumstances for their demise last year. Who knows, though? Maybe all of a sudden no one will be backstabbers. We'll have no more swords through goalies, nothing like that, because oh DeBoer is gone. Like, maybe the vibes are different. And, like, he's intriguing because it sounds like Dallas might look at him, and I'm like, okay, the team that needs offense is going to look at Peter DeBoer. Like, okay, I don't get it. 
Well, Shana, there's only roughly six to seven men we can look at for these positions. So they got to fit somewhere, <laughs> even if it makes no sense at all. Yeah, But right. something that does make sense, um, the Flyers offered John Tortorella the job. We've been talking about this for a while, and we want to wait for full analysis for our Tortorella correspondent, <laughs> Allison Lucan. So we will wait for her, her full takes. But what are your quick reactions to this? Yeah, when he when we, that tweet went out from Kevin Weeks, um, and like shout out to Weeks for another scoop. Allison immediately texted me like, "Can we do torts analysis on this when I'm back?" Like, yes, yes, Allison, we will do torts analysis on this. We can't without her. But I, I love the fact that he's coming in to clean up an Elaine Vigneault mess again because when he took over in Vancouver, if I remember correctly, from Vigneault, and the irony was Vigneault took over for torts in New York. It was like getting players to work harder in practices. And, like, Torts is old school in that. Like, you have to give your all during practice, which I don't think is asking for much. Meanwhile, he's the coach that doesn't believe in morning skates. So, you know, it's like there's two sides of it. But it was like when Vigneault left New York as well, that was something that was said. Like, he didn't make them bust their ass as much in practice and do those kinds of things. And, like, those work habits that you know Torts is going to try to instill. And it feels like the Flyers need that. I'll, I'll wait for Allison for my Taylor Swift references, but I do feel like <laughs> Torts is in his reputation era. I feel like he has a chance to kind of switch the mentality around him, and and we'll see. It's something we've talked about pretty often, so we'll see. But like what you said with Kevin Weeks, he is seriously scooping everyone, and I wonder why he's not on the intermission broadcasts and things like that. I, I would love to have seen him on these things. I don't know. I don't think they're doing a bad job. I love Brian Boucher. I just would like to see Kevin Weeks on this. Maybe he didn't want to because he's too busy scooping. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, like, so Steve Levy and Barry Melrose were talking about it. Like, they have a desk and we're talking about how big it was. Like, everything that they have going on now and I think it's really cool for them because for years it's been them and Linda Cohn trying to bring hockey to ESPN so like great on them for getting this opportunity now like headlining it that's that's awesome but it just feels like we know ESPN has so many more commentators I wish were in the fold more like you said Kevin Weeks for the intermissions or I liked Rick DiPietro and Ryan Callahan and you know AJ Malesko doing color commentary would be great I yeah I'm so surprised they stuck with the you know, two-man crew calling games with Ray Farrar and Sean McDonough instead of adding in a play-by-play guy. And it's like, Brian Boucher is right there doing yeah. analysis and intermissions. <laughs> yeah. Just throw him in the booth. <laughs> like, it would help to have a color commentator from the booth. Like, this is the Stanley Cup final. Load up. And instead, it's like the same. I just wish they kind of took more notes from the Eastern Conference final and were like, how can we make this better? Like, how can we up our game. This is our first Stanley Cup final in a century. Like, let's do it. Totally agree. Um, Moving on to the U18 women's world. Unfortunately, our women could not pull off their seventh world championship in their past eight years, and Canada staved them off 3-2 for the gold medal. What are your quick thoughts on this? Uh, I thought the game at first, I'm like, damn, this game is done. And then the second, USA scored two really quick goals. It was a great game. You know, really, really, really quality play from the two of them from the two teams. The commentary, I appreciated a ton. We talked about that, like actually highlighting the women for who they are, what they can do. Um, there were a lot of standout performances like Cindy, uh, Sydney Morrow, and we're going to see so much more from these players and like Layla Edwards. So I hope that, you know, more people start watching this and enjoy like Women's World's coming up in August and just keep supporting 
women's hockey because there's, you know, this is a huge pipeline and like teams like Sweden and Finland had great performances. And we have to think about like how far Sweden has come since they cut funding. And, you know, at the Olympics, they impressed me. And now here it is their pipeline, you know, putting on an impressive show as well, even though they didn't walk away with the medal, you know, Finland won bronze, but you know, there's a lot to take away from it. So we just have to keep supporting it because, you know, these are the future of future women of the game. Yeah, I'm just kind of puzzled about what happened. I know the prelims aren't that important, but I know that the U.S. shut out Canada 7-0. So I think, it. I don't know, it was a great game. I guess I was, maybe they got too cocky. Yeah, maybe. And like, you know, it. it you know, it's nice though, like as much as we see those lopsided results earlier on it, like when it, when push comes to shove and like the metal games, like I like that it was an exciting game as much yeah. as I, my bias is like, give me a team USA five, nothing win. Like <laughs> I, I like to be like entertained and on the edge of my seat and you know, everyone might look at it and be like, of course it was USA counted in the final, but like maybe we should cancel every other team and just do it as a two team tournament. Right. That's how it goes. In women's hockey now. Yeah. Cause we can't, it's not allowed for anybody else. <laughs> Cause everybody who watched one half of one period gets to weigh in. <laughs> Uh, love it. Love it so much. It's great. But yeah. Great work, everyone. <laughs> it was exciting, though. So if you haven't got on board with these tournaments yet, you got to start watching them. And in our final bit of news, we're, we're almost there to talk about <laughs> game one, folks. Uh, Joe Smith reported that Joe Smith is a Tampa Bay writer at The Athletic. Gary Bettman announced record revenues this season for NHL, said in next two to three years, we'll see the normal increases in salary cap each year. Um, I was furious and I let that get the best of me. I think I quote tweeted this just saying like, what do you mean? Normal increases in salary cap. It should be more if it's record revenue, right? Like, please. Sometimes I just get so embarrassed with this sport that I love because the cap ceiling is so low and it's all these guys are, there's so many teams fighting the cap right now. And it's, it could be so much more fun if it was just a little bit more like basketball. I know we don't have that kind of money right now, but I do. We're, if we get some more money, we should use that for good and to make the sport more entertaining. But I did get a text from one of my favorite insiders explaining the situation to me. Um, he said, the reason the cap is still more or less frozen despite rising revenues is because the players agreed to that at the start of the pandemic when they negotiated the CBA extended as a measure to get paid in full in 2019-2020 and 2021, despite shortened seasons and revenues that would have otherwise suggested in the shared HRR system that they make like 50% of their salaries instead. In return, the cap was more or less frozen until the players could pay back the millions they owed for making more than they should have in those two pandemic years. They hope to have it paid all back by 2025 or so, at which point the cap will be freed up and can start going up more measurably than based on the revenues. But until then, this is about the payers paying the massive debt that was created when they didn't take a pay cut in 2020. Okay, I will admit when I'm wrong. So I deleted my tweets and I think... <laughs> I just, we need more transparency, right? If that had been explained, and it's not Joe's fault, I feel bad for dragging poor <laughs> Joe Smith into this. I should text him and apologize for going off on him, on his quote tweet. But I feel like this stuff is so intentionally vague and intentionally confusing, right? No, it is. And like the other problem with it is too, like the players agreed to this and they should have better representation helping them not agree to things that aren't great. Like that's, 
like, you know, everyone was so happy with um, the new CBA and it was like, oh, look, it got done. And it's like, you walk away from that and it's like, what do the players get out of this legitimately? And like, you look at things like, you know, there has to be some sort of system in place to balance revenues. So you get that split, you know, based on if every team's close to the cap or every team's uh, the ceiling versus the floor. And that's why like escrow is in place. But like, it sucks the way it's done. It sucks the way revenue's projected and how that's what everything goes off of. Like there's so many flaws within the system. So there's still a point to be mad about how things are done because the players should have been in a better position than they are, but they didn't get there. And I think that there's a ton of problems with the players association. Like forget about everything else that we could possibly think of for them, but just financially alone, you know, there's a lot of flaws there. Um, not shy to say like I'm not a fan of like the leadership that's there for those reasons alone before we touch anything else and we could go on for literally days about everything I mean look at the Blackhawk situation I mean that was a complete and total failure by them but like it's just it's so interesting to me like how the financials are working out when you look at everything that FAIR did with MLB with with Major League Baseball before this like literally I've been reading a book about it because I'm, I'm a nerd and this is what I do in my spare time. I read books about You're bringing sports. your knowledge to the pod. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but no, like, it, it's, it's all, like, breaking down, like, when they were, like, MLB lockouts and, you know, things with, like, the luxury tax system being put in place and everything that he did then. And I'm just like, where is that energy for hockey? Because I feel like yeah. it just hasn't been there. And I think that he was flawed with baseball, but I just feel like with hockey, the players should be in a much better position than they are. And it starts with their leadership. You know, maybe if they were better informed of different things they could do, they wouldn't be agreeing to CBAs that we like when it signed. We're like, what did you get out of this? You're 100 percent right. And thank you for letting me still be mad. I knew I should (laughs) still be mad at something. I just don't know what. (laughs) And I guess, yeah, the NHLPA. And you're so right about the Kyle Beach situation and so many other ways things have been handled and just the way there should be more protection with injuries and things like that. And I, I, there just isn't. And I, I feel like they get in the way of themselves so much and it's just kind of an insidious part of hockey culture. Yeah. And like, still mad. (laughs) Yeah. We should, we should be mad. This is something I feel like that needs to be talked about. And like, we're getting like little bits of information. Like they're going to look at a succession plan for fair anyway in the near future. Like that's a good thing, but I feel like it comes down to the players being informed, you know, as much as I could fault them for going along with things, like, are they informed enough to know? I don't want to, like, make it seem like they're idiots, and, like, I don't know if it just came off that way. But, like, I don't expect a a regular NHL player to understand every in and out of the financials of the entire league as a whole. They have enough shit to worry about. So I just hope that there are systems in place to keep players informed of everything outside of the NHLPA as well so they can get like a fresh take on it because it does feel like more players could use refreshers on the financials and understand the situation a little bit better so maybe they know exactly what they're looking for in the next CBA if that makes sense yeah absolutely all right Shayna Avs (laughs) (laughs) Avalanche versus Lightning game one 90 seconds into OT Andre Burakovsky Won it four three. Describe game one in one word. It was fun in this economy. <laughs> Who knew it was the quality? Like this is a matchup. I feel like last year any of us would have been thrilled to have, right? Like yes. the last two years, like oh, give us two of the best teams, and like some of the narratives aren't even that bad. And I think it's because the teams are actually legitimately good. Like. I just want to see quality hockey. Like, there's, I think, benefits to both teams winning this, but I want to see, like, quality hockey for 
a, a long stretch of play. I was hoping round two would be a little bit more exciting in the West. And like the sweep was fun and I loved every moment of it. Don't get me wrong. But like I wanted that series to go long and like deliver on the McMatch up a little bit more. I loved seeing Colorado's dominance. So it's like, you know, either way. But I want to see this series be like a tough fight and exciting hockey. And I feel like we got that. That's so true. And these things kind of always expose the holes in other teams along the way. Like my editor texted me this morning and said, wow, the Canes are not nearly this good, even with Freddie. And it's so true. They would not have stood a chance in this matchup. Uh, And I love that it's actually delivering. And I love the one thing about Tampa Bay. Obviously, um, they're down 3-1. They tie it up 3-3. I think... There's such wisdom in all the runs that they've had before and knowing when to take your foot off the gas and when to put it on. And overtime's a crapshoot, but they got to overtime with that mentality, being able to just say, okay, F it, we're going to go for it now and do it. They are the one team that has that ability. And the Avalanche are that one team that has the ability to stave that off, right? Yeah, no, 100%. Like, you look at when the score was 3-1. to one. Colorado came out as the better team. They had more jump in their step. And, like, we talked a lot about rest versus rust. And that's, once again, another narrative. But whatever, it clicks. Like, Colorado's been off for a while. How would they be? We just saw with Tampa Bay, like, they were off for a while. And how were they after it? But, like, Colorado's been here before. They've had two sweeps now. So I feel like it was a little bit different. Plus, you have the altitude to consider as well. Like, Tampa only plays there once a year. So as rested as you can be, it might be a kick in the ass to play at that, like, altitude. But when Colorado took a 3-1 lead, you saw Tampa Bay pick up their game immediately. And, like, score effects tell us that's going to happen. When a team's trailing, they're going to pick up their offense and try to even the score. And when a team is in the lead, oftentimes, they back off a little bit into a defensive shell. And against St. Louis, we saw Colorado do that in Game 5. They had, what was it, a 3-0 lead, and they blew it. And it went back and forth a little bit, but ultimately the Blues extended the series against the Oilers. Something that was super noticeable, I think, was when Colorado had the lead, they were like, fuck it, we're playing to our strengths and we're just going to keep overpowering you. It does not matter the score of the situation. We're just going to keep coming on in waves. And that obviously worked for them. So I don't think their intention was to step back a little bit. And it's interesting because Tampa Bay is a team that when they have a lead can legitimately shut things down without it burning them. Like any other team that goes to try that, like, I don't know, the Rangers try that, you know, let's be more defensive and not take risks and it burns them because they're only playing defense. Tampa is a team that can shut it down. And like, if you take your foot off the gas a little bit and you're only playing defense, you're forcing your opponent to only play offense, not have to defend, dig their way out of a situation and then come forward with offense. So I think that's a good reason why like they were able to tie the game. Like Tampa Bay picked it up at the right time. And once they even the score, you saw Colorado pick it up again. Like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Like, we're not done here. Like this game's not over yet. There's that. There's do we as a society speak nearly enough about Nikita Kucherov? No. He he was fantastic last night. I feel like the whole postseason, we're just seeing these like standout plays that end up on the score sheet. It's him and Palat. It's two of the original triplets. That pass was gorgeous. And then there's Vasilevsky, who if he plays, he almost won it for them, I feel. It's like they have just such a complete team. But I feel like the Avalanche have kind of more, I don't want to say they're more competitive, but they just like have that kind of, I don't know. What do you think it is that stands out about the Avalanche? They're just like 
an overwhelming team in front of the crease, I think, that they're managing to get by with, like, average or below average goaltending in the playoffs. And that's, like, Darcy Kemper was so good in the regular season, but since the Nashville series, he's had one quality start against St. Louis. That was it. Like, and his starts before he left the game with Edmonton, like, was not good. And last night, again, it was a below average game for him. And, like, Vasilevsky's had a pretty rough first period. I don't know why he doesn't... We talk about Mike Smith in game ones, rightfully so, but, like, Vasilevsky in game ones, they're not his best friend. Look at Toronto, that series, how it started out, and look at the Rangers. Like, it really wasn't great. Florida was the one series that it was like, no, no, we're on it the entire time. But, like, after that first period, he was outstanding. Like, he really pulled it together to keep his team in it. And Darcy Kemper could have let that one slip away, I think. Absolutely. And then Point was back. He returned. I think he's just going to keep getting better. What were your impressions of Braden Point's return? Yeah, like I wouldn't expect him to be the superstar in four seconds after returning from injury. And it helps that Tampa doesn't need him to be. They like he can play. He's on, he's on, you know, in the middle six. They have two other lines they can rely on. But like, I mean, it's going to it's going to take him time. It's just I cannot get over how similar him and Brandon Hagel look with like their facial hair. <laughs> yes, I, yes. It's so hard to tell them apart. Yes. Twins. Twinning. <laughs> I'll never say that again. <laughs> okay, and finally, you blogged about this. Are there any points we missed here? We covered it all. Um, two things. So we talk a lot about Sorelli, rightfully so. Like last year was Philip Deneau going through the shutdown matchups, and now it was Sorelli. And it was interesting. Colorado wasn't like, we're going to keep McKinnon away from him. They were like, we're just going to keep rolling our lines. And against St. Louis, like, it seemed like they were trying to shield him from Ryan O'Reilly a bit. And then once McKinnon started beating O'Reilly in the matchup, the Avalanche were like, we're just going to outpower you. And it felt like the same thing. And, like, it was a really rough night for the Hagel, Kaloran, Sorelli line that was outstanding against the Rangers when they got put together and really shut down Zibanejad. If I remember it, I think they had less than 5% of the expected goal share in their minutes, that line. And they played a lot against McKinnon. And it's like, that is going to be a problem because that's the matchup they're going to rely on when Tampa has home ice as well. Like, if they can't shut down that top line, and it's not just McKinnon, it's Landeskog and it's Nachushkin, like, that's a problem. And the other thing was Burakovsky. Like, he was so bad, he was a healthy scratch earlier in this postseason. And when Kadri got hurt, he got the bump in the lineup. And he was really good. That whole line, uh, Ranton and Com- uh, Jesse Comfer's brother and <laughs> Burkowski, they, they were excellent last night. Like, that was the one-two punch Colorado needed. Absolutely. And, okay, to your point about Vasilevsky in game ones, I didn't realize how – I don't know if I subscribe to narratives like this, but at the same time, he has won three in game ones this playoffs. And in game ones – it's 3.99 goals against average and 0.884 save percentage. And in games two through seven, he's 11-3, 1.90 goals against average, 9.39 save percentage. So that is a palpable difference. And now it's like they didn't even, they didn't reach their final form in game one, including him. So it does concern me for the Avalanche, that the Avalanche seemed to be playing at their best and Tampa Bay didn't really, and Tampa Bay almost squeaked it out. But I still say abs in seven. Do you want to amend your guesses at all? Your predictions? I forget. Did I have six or seven? I forget. Whatever I it is, I'm going to, yeah, I'll stick to it. But I do think, like, Colorado was the better five-on-five team by, like, a mile 
yesterday and that's all well and good but like you're gonna have to pick it up a little bit to beat Vasilevsky who we saw in the second and third period like kick his game up a notch so now you get non-game one Andre Vasilevsky like do you have it I I think they have it in them it's just finding ways to beat him like he allowed his first five hole goal last night in the whole playoffs we've been talking a lot about like beating him high blocker and I'm sure that's an area that they're going to target but it's just challenging him as much as possible if you're going to beat a goalie like that you have to like you could either try to lull him to sleep and then and keep him bored and then hopefully the one shot trickles through but I think a goalie like that you just have to keep the pressure on what's your prediction for game two um good question I I, I don't know <laughs> I, I think I think Tampa Bay is going to come back and win it. I think they're going to win one. Here. I think so. I think it's going to be a close game, but it just feels like, I feel like that puts more, who do you think there's more pressure on? This is what I was like thinking about yesterday. Like you have the team that wants to go for three straight, which in a salary cap era is like unheard of. The team that wants to be a dynasty. There's a ton of pressure on them to do it this year, especially when everyone wants to shit talk their last two championships, which whatever, but like, they're the team to beat, and they don't want to beat themselves, of course. But then you have Colorado. Like, yes, they've gotten past things before, but, like, you're going against Tampa. Like, who has more pressure? Who has more to lose? If Tampa lost tomorrow, we at least could be like, well, you won the last two. Who thought you'd win three? Like, I don't know. Which team do you think? That's still the opportunity to do something unheard of. And I think a lot of this is about the pressure. Of these I, I feel like the reason, partially, they've won – back-to-back is because they do put so much pressure on themselves and they are able to prepare for games really well. I I think they, I think Stamkos wants it. He wants to be a bigger part of it. And I mean, who knows when a group like this is going to get back together. Whereas for me, the Avalanche have kind of a few years. I know they've been kind of trying at a kick at the can for a while, but I do think for me, it's good enough for them to make it to the Stanley Cup final. But at the same time, what if this is their one chance and then they lose? I, I think they there's a lot of pressure everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think you're right. Like, Colorado might lose, like, Nuchushkin and Kadri this summer to unrestricted free agency. But I feel like Lekkanen could step up and become the next Nuchushkin if they can't pay him. And, like, I think that they have one of the smartest front offices. Like, Joe Sackick's really good. They have really smart, data-driven minds in their front office. And Tampa does, too. Like, it's not to say one or the other doesn't. Like, highlight that for a second. These are two teams that do subscribe to data and analytics and numbers and look at them. But, like, I don't know. I feel like I would trust Colorado to keep finding ways to get better versus other front offices in this situation. All right. It is time for our Fuck, Mary Kill and... You came up with this one, so I think you get to speak on it. Okay, so we'll do the Con Smythe picks. We'll fuck Mary Kill. Who could win the Con Smythe? Today we'll do Colorado because they won game one, and next time we'll do Tampa. So it's not like we're picking a winner. Yes. We're, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with three of the names I think that are most commonly out there. So Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen. You go first. Okay. I'm killing Rantanen because I think if – Somebody else is to win this trophy other than Makar or McKinnon, which isn't going to happen. I don't think it would be him. I think it would be a goalie. I'm just going to say that. I, I don't think it's going to be this goalie. I think it's going to be Makar or McKinnon. And I am marrying... Oh, 
McKinnon, because I want it to be him because I, well, if it's somebody, I'm not like rooting for anybody, but I, I do think it's so fun when he's playing at his best and McCarr kind of already is. And, I'm, and McKinnon is too, but I want to see him kind of explode for a few goals here and do something crazy. Like his ability to take over a game is amazing, like McCarr's. And I'm going to fuck McCarr winning this trophy because I do think that would be a lot of fun, but I'd like to see both McCarr and McKinnon having fun. I like that. Um, so I'm going to stick with you and kill Rantanen. I mean, I don't think he was good enough in the first two rounds at all. That's why they changed the lines and moved him off McKinnon's line and gave him Landis instead. And like, I think he picked it up a lot against Edmonton. And I think he looked great last night, but his whole playoffs, I'm not sold on. If I had to pick a third option, it would probably be Taves, Landis or Val Nichushkin. I think he would probably like lead the way as my third pick. So kill Rantanen. I will fuck McKinnon. I think that he's amazing. Um, and I think that he's a great pick for it. But I also look at his line and I'm like, I see Nachushkin contributing a lot. I see Landis Cog contributing a lot. And I think McKinnon can take games over. And I think he needs to do a little bit more in this series, you know, to keep outpowering Sorelli. And I, I feel like he could easily do that and win the Consumite. And I don't think anyone would complain. But I just think McCarr like has taken his game to such a high level in this postseason like from the best defenseman of the regular season to one of the best defensemen in the world and to one of the best players in the league period so for that I give him the edge but like it's the same thing because as much as I'm saying like look at the support McKinnon has he has Taves who I think is one of the best defensemen in the league too so it's like it's really tough but I will go I'll go McCarr over McKinnon and I also like the young gun in a way like, yeah, it's his third season, but I like that. Like when Braden Point, you know, was in constant consideration too, like it's the young gun in a sense, like leading the way and might be for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. It's been outstanding to watch him do what he's done at such a young age. I love a college hockey guy too. We love new mass. So shout out to that. I mean, I, College hockey gets disrespected, and it's kind of rightfully so, because a lot of the good guys come from the OHL because it's their life. But I love when a guy gets a little education, so <laughs> you, Kale McCarr. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought up the college point, because I was thinking the same thing. And his rookie year, it was hit, it was Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and John Marino all coming from the college route. And I loved seeing the four defensemen from the NCAA thrive. Like, they get so much shit. And there's so much bias against them in the draft. But like I like you said, like I like that they get the education. And I like to see like, I don't know, I like to see like NCAA hockey get more credit too. Like it's a good pipeline for players. And I want to see more go that route as well. Just to, I'd love to see like if NCAA hockey keeps growing, like how does it affect how things shake out in like 10 years? Like, will we be still having the same conversations or will they get the respect they deserve for putting out players like McCarr and Hughes and Fox? How does it affect the Leafs? Well, <laughs> well, they probably wouldn't be drafting enough Canadian players then. They'd be looking at Americans and you can't have too many Americans on Canada's team. Yep, they got a guy it. from... Tech. Oh my God! What did I say? Texas. Oh my, my brain. Arizona. <laughs> Why would I say that? Um, anyway, they got Austin Matthews representing them. Maybe that's been the problem all along. But that's a story for a different day, folks. Thanks for coming along with us and bearing with us without Allison, who is 
on an adventure right now. Um, we are very excited because we are doing a Game 4 watch along on YouTube next Wednesday. We will have more details about that dropping very soon, but we hope you will join us for a drink or two and for some LOLs. And <laughs> that will sum it up for today. Shayna? You covered it. I never have things to add at the end. Oh, wait, actually I do. We have a crop sweatshirt now and you should buy it yes. because like, it's nice to have fashion that is like fitting for women too. And we're trying to do that. So buy things and men can wear crops too. Go off. Exactly. Like, I'm trying to get one to Joel Edmondson. Eddie, if you're listening to this right now, just send over the Addy and I will get you a crop sweatshirt for mods. Yeah, please, please rep too many men. Yes. All right. Be the official Too Many Men sponsor. <laughs> we love you guys. Bye. Bye.